let, let, let's pray. Want to get funny, Abby? You, you'll tell me later. <laughs> what was that? Don't, don't think about it. So what's the moral of the story? <laughs> All right, let, let, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that uh, you give us the awesome privilege to occupy our minds with glory and beauty. Lord, Lord the, the best that the world's mind can be occupied with is Jordan Park. steak, but we have an awesome privilege that our minds and our thoughts can go into an ocean of things that speak for themselves, things that are great. Extremely deep. I remember as a little child yearning that you had satisfied us with more of the word of God. Your word has filled the gospel life. And so we just come to this magnificent ocean of your word. We pray that, Lord, your glory and your beauty that our minds would be occupied Lord, drink deeply of the goodness of the Lord. And so thank you for your word. Thank you for the spiritual wisdom and understanding to know the knowledge of your will that changes, that we might walk in the light of your countenance, that, we might, that our lives would reflect that which you have deposited in us. So change us, Lord. Help, help our minds, even as, even as Paul says, things that are noble, things that are good, things that are pure, things that are right, think on these things. Help us to dwell on them, Lord. Help us to meditate deeply. And so, Lord, we thank you. We welcome the Holy Spirit now to just help us, renew us, Lord, with your word. And, Lord, be, be glorified. Well, let's continue this uh, magnificent subject and topic we've been looking at. Um, Paul prays without, uh, without ceasing for the church um, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And we, we said that, uh, but the, what is the substance of this spiritual knowledge? Um, um, the substance of this true spiritual knowledge is the knowledge of his will. The knowledge of his will. Um, and so... That word will is going to express four things, right? We, you know, it's going to express the idea, you know, what is the knowledge of his will? So we want to understand it's going to express inclination. It's going to express desire, right? Um, desire. It's going to express intention, right? Intention. And, um, um, and it's going to fourthly ex express resolve. So it's this idea, this knowledge of God's inclination, God's preference, God's desire, but it's desire not conceived as a demand, but as a particular for a particular pleasure. So there is this will. So we, we began to see that God's will really refers to that powerful desire in God for something particular that will bring him great pleasure. All right, so God, God's will refers to that particular desire, right? Uh, it's a powerful and particular desire for God for something that brings him great pleasure. And I, and I trust and hope that as you've been hearing these messages, your paradigm, your, your concept of God has shifted to a God that, that, not, that not demands out of obedience for the sake of obedience, but a God that demands pleasure. <laughs> it's like a God that, that is seeking something that makes his heart delightful. You know, you, you know, he's not 
Um, he's not just impressed with mere obedience, right? Mere this. He, God loves a cheerful giver. This idea that, that emotions matter, affections matter. Rejoice in the Lord, I say again, what? Rejoice. This idea that God commands the affections, right? This idea that God commands us to not just do things, but to feel things and to, and to, like, and to, and to, to know things in, in, in a powerful way, in a way that our affections are moved. God is not just content with us doing things. Amen? And so this is, and, and, and I don't know about you, but my, my, affection, my emotions are, are shot death. <laughs> but praise God for the Holy Spirit that he gives us renewed affections, renewed affections, and we cultivate them. And that's why the call to walk in the spirit is so critical because if we, that's the only way that we can begin to cultivate our new affections, and that is to walk in the spirit so that we can begin to sense and feel the things that God feels and that we have, we have that capacity because of the Holy Spirit that we have a connection with him. So God is a God that I'm, so God's will primarily focuses on God, not you, not your obedience. God's will is his will. And so we're trying to really uh, put God at the center of, of, of sometimes we can get lost and in all these words and just allow Satan, oh, you got to do God's will. And God's will becomes burdensome. Never meant to be like that. God's will refers to his pleasure. And so, so his, the Bible says clearly that, what, that all that God does absolutely is motivated by his pleasure. Psalm 135, verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, that's what he does. God has never done anything that does not please him, period. You might say, how could that be in a world with so much suffering and so much this? Well, go and figure it out. But don't let the situation change God's word. Whatever the Lord does, please him. That's what he does, period. There's no exception to that rule. Because this is a great God. God that wins at every point of life. Amen? This is a God that, you know, and this is a God that, um, and, and, and like we've said, this is a God that took pleasure even in crushing his son. Look at Isaiah 53, 10. So, so, so you know, this is really the, the issue. This is really the mystery. The mystery is not our lives. The mystery is the life of the son of God. God was pleased to crush him. But the Lord was pleased to crush Jesus. So start thinking differently about God. Amen? He's got, he's got, and, and you might say, did, does he, did he please because Jesus was just so hurting? No. Be careful where you place his pleasure. God's pleasure was not in that Jesus was just so bloody. Oh, that's great. That's great. I take pleasure in the blood of you guys. No. God is pleased to crush him because of what God is going to do. With that, with that bleeding, Amen. So don't, 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 don't confuse the issue. God is not a masochist. <laughs> his pleasure, but, but his delight, right? His delight, his delight. It's all, he, his delight overwhelms the whole thing. So he, at no point is God in that process saying, "Oh, I have to wait for my delight." Do you know what I'm saying? His delight is even when Jesus was being was being crushed. His delight, because, because of his pleasure at what he saw was coming, his delight is, con is constant. Amen? So the same thing with our lives. He may crush us. The Lord is going to be pleased to crush you and me, but not because he takes pleasure in making you feel bad. Don't think like God like that. But think in terms of what God is going to work for his glory in the crushing. That's what pleasing to the Lord. Amen? So, so we, need, we need to be clear, but, but, at, but, but give God, what the, he, he's doing things by his pleasure. And so we need to be, take comfort that whatever happens tomorrow, my CAT scan, I know one thing for sure, that whatever the results come back, it pleased the Lord. Why? Because he, is he pleased because I have cancer? 
I just, I just want you to have none. God says, lymphoma. Amen. It just brings me so much delight that you have diffused large visa. No, because you're going to see my glory in it. Amen. So praise God. And if it pleased God to heal me, and uh, which I believe he has, amen, you know, and so if it pleased God and nothing, it, it, it's only because something good is in that, not because, oh, I'm so pleased that you don't have lymphoma. Do you see what I'm saying? It's because, no, because, be, because you won't have lymphoma, you're going to glorify me, right? So, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. It just matters that God has a purpose in, what, in the good and in the bad, amen, for his delight. So says, let's, live, let's go forward in life with that sense. Don't be shaken by the problems. Don't be shaken by the disappointments. Don't be shaken by the, the grief. Just go forward knowing that there's, there's joy in it. There's joy in God in it. He's allowing it for a good reason. Amen. So the substance of this spiritual knowledge is the knowledge of God's desire. But now that raises this glorious question. Paul says in Colossians 1.9, I want, I'm, I'm asking, I'm, 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 I don't want to, I'm not ceasing to pray for you. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his presence. I want you, I, Paul is saying, I want, I, I'm really, that matters to me. Notice the distinction between, he doesn't say that you may be filled with doing his pleasure. That's, that's appropriate. That's not what Paul is asking. That you may be filled with what? The what? The knowledge. So keep it on the sphere of the knowledge. It's something that Paul wants you to know. Now, we already said what that knowledge is. It's not just facts. It's not just information. It's personal. It's moral. It's like, right? We've already said all that. So, but, but there is a knowledge, right, that, that that God wants us to enter into concerning the pleasure of God. God's pleasure. And Paul wants us to be filled with that. And so that raises the question, what is that particular object of desire in God for pleasure? What is it? What exactly is it that brings great pleasure? Now, there's a lot of questions I could raise from that question, which I'm not because I don't, wanna, I don't want to and it has to do with God's eternity. But, you know, when you speak of God's pleasure, you're speaking of something eternal. So we're going to, uh, we're going to need to, you know, examine that a little bit. But there's no change in that. It's eternal. But let's, let's consider this. Let's begin to consider this. So today we want to consider the, this particular object here. And um, let's go to Psalm 149, Psalm 149. You know, we're going to begin to tackle this. And, and I was saying, Lord, I have this big pizza. I, in my mind, I, I, I was praying. I said, Lord, I have this big, you know, 20-foot pizza in front of me. And I don't know where, to, if I should cut on that side or cut on this side. <laughs> and I went, I went a few days just saying, Lord, where do you want me to cut the pizza? <laughs> guys have these kind of weird thoughts sometimes, you know. It's just like, you know, I, I see like this, this magnificent thing that God is showing me, and it's huge, and it's delicious, and it's like, wow. And it's just like, it's, it's not just a little piece like this. It's like, it's like so Lord, where, where should I start? Where, where, do, I, where do you want me to cut? <laughs> so I went along, so this is where I, I, I landed. I landed, because I had like five places where I can cut the pizza at to, to answer the question. What is the particular object of God's pleasure. I, 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 I could have taken it from different angles, and I landed here. So we'll trust God. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Verse 2. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing making melody to him with tambourine and harp. Okay. Psalm 149. Um, I, I, think, I think to appreciate Psalm 149, we have to consider a little bit of the structure of the book of Psalms. 
um, just a little bit. Um, in, in generally speaking, Psalms functions as a real life portrait. It's, the Psalms are so beautiful. I'm, I'm so grateful for the Psalms. I mean, I love this ha- narratives, historical narratives. I like, you know, but the Psalms, they just got, they got real concrete. This is what life looks like under the covenant. So God has a covenant with his people through Moses, right? And he gave them all these instructions, the temple and this, 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 this. What does that look like in real life? What does a relationship with God looks like in real life? That's the book of Psalms. All the other stuff, it, it, you, can, you can derive that, but it functions a little bit different. But the, the Psalms just has gives you what does a, right? Because if you think about it, Israel had this covenant with God. Nobody, no other nation had it. The life of everybody else in the world was completely different. Completely different. There's like n- nothing, nothing similar between the people of Israel and everybody else in the world. And so God, through the Psalms, gives us a portrait of the implications of the covenant that he makes with Israel when Israel came out of Egypt, right? And there, in this, this comes to, right, the, the, this tabernacle work, there's all this stuff, this land, and there's um, promised land, right? So, so the book of Psalms is written not in the wilderness, not, in, in the, in not, in, not even in like in, in um, when they're conquering. It's, 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 it's like God kind of has, accomplish his promises in Israel. And so now the book of Psalms, God now says, okay, I need to write what life looks like after you come out of Egypt, after you come out of the wilderness, and now you're living in the land. So that's the book of Psalms. That's the book of Psalms. It's It's this wonderful portrait of like, of like, what does life look like when you're not fighting in the land of Canaan or you're not in Egypt oppressed by Pharaoh, they're in the land. What does life look like? That's the book, that's the book of Psalms. So the Psalms, are, in the Psalms you find that there are deliverance, prayers for deliverance, questions. Now the, song, the songs, by the way, for those who don't know, Psalms are songs. They're actually, they're actually musical. Their songs are sung, and they have um, they have everything in there. You can find it: questions, perplexity, abandonment, forsaken, victory, triumph, happiness, sadness, depression, oppression. You you find it all. That's life under the covenant. Welcome to life under the covenant. And that's helpful because I think sometimes we can we can create these um ideas of the Christian life, these wrong ideas because we're not in the scriptures and we create this kind of perfect scenario that life is going to be beautiful. It's not. It's going it's to be beautiful, but there's going to be sorrow. There's going to be tears. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be things that perplexing. And so now many scholars believe that the book of Psalms is broken into five books, right, five books. And you can, you can read them. Psalm, you know, um, th- these are just markers, Psalm 41, 13. You, you will notice, you will notice some similarities, you know, blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen, the end of book one, the end of book two, Psalm 72, 19, blessed be his glorious name forever, may the whole earth be filled with his glory, amen and amen, all right, uh, Psalm 89, right, the end of book three, blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen, right, and then um, Psalm 106, 48, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, to everlasting, let the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. And obviously, Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Right? So it, it's pretty obvious, right? Um, that there seems to be some similarities. Um, and some people believe that, they, that, that these five books uh, mimic the five books of the, of the Pentateuch, which is, you know, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But what do I find even more, more in, 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 in as you consider as you consider the, the book of Psalms, right, as being a portrait of the life of a believer in the land. Now, um, now that portrait is for us, not for the Jews. Right? Let's be very clear. 
that that portrait has been written, Paul says, for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the world have come. So we are the real actors in that story. Amen? Does that make sense? Uh, the Jews there are, type, are, are typologically very, and that's God, very historically accurate. That's something that God, but they're, they're writing this story for our sake because we're the ones that are going to really be living in the, in the spiritual land in Christ. Amen? And that story become, becomes ours. So in this, in this, um, in this um, understanding of the book of Psalms, what I find, what I, the, the most interesting part of the book of Psalms for me, by far, are the last six books of Psalms. The significance of the last six books of Psalms. That we're talking about Psalm 145, Psalm 146, Psalm 147, Psalm 148, Psalm 149, Psalm 150. Very, very important uh, six books in the book of Psalms. Um, beginning with Psalm 145, God introduces, if you're careful reading, a new state of affairs. Let's just read. Let's just read quickly Psalm 145. I'll read it. I'll read it. A song of praise of David. I will install you, my God, and King. Now, be aware. Just, I've already given you some clues. Something has changed in Psalm 145. I will install you, my God, and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy over all that he has made. All your works I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and, and kind in all his works. The Lord opposed all who are falling, raised up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry, saves them. The Lord preserves who loves them, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. A new state of affairs. Something's missing. What's, what's missing from Psalm 145? And what's happening, what's, be, what's actually beautiful is that it's missing from 145 on. No more. If you, if, you, if you read Psalm 145, 146, 147, 148, 149, what's missing is there's no more prayers for deliverance. No more cries. No more lamentations. No more, help, Lord! No more. No more. <laughs> Psalm 145, something happened in Psalm 145. The last, the last prayer for help. In the Psalms, and there's plenty of prayers for help in the Psalms, amen? Plenty of prayers and help, but something has happened. When, when you get to Psalm 25, 145, something has taken place. The last prayer that we find in the book of Psalms for a prayer for deliverance is Psalm 144, verse 11. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners. You see that prayer? That's very common in the life of the believer. Lord, rescue me, deliver me from these hands whose mouths they're speaking lies against me, right? There's, there's tension, there's opposition, there's, 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 there's something that you need help with. Starting from Psalm 145, no more. <laughs> Amen? How many, how many are in Psalm 145? <laughs> how many are waiting for Psalm 145, yeah? <laughs> Lord, is this a Psalm 145 day? You know? <laughs> no. Emmanuel, this is Lord. I got Psalm 68. <laughs> oh, no. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? You don't want him to tell you what, uh, Psalm 122. <laughs> don't, 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 but, but, you know, but we, our lives are in the Psalms, you know. But, you know, how many of us, you know, we, we live this. This is, uh, this is our life. Psalm 144, 11, um, speaking lies, rescuing, deliver me from foreigners. But instead, beginning with Psalm 145, what you find is not just the absence of suffering, but there's also a progressive um, crescendo from 145 to 150. You know, and again, in, in light of the fact that the book of Psalms is this portrait of the believer's life, that's why I love Psalm 145 to 150, because it's a reminder. That's where my life is going. <laughs> Amen? I, you might, I might be in Psalm 122 today, but I ain't staying there forever. I may be crying, oh, God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, we, 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 might, we, we have moments like that. But God, in the book of Psalms, is giving us um, something so magnificent. So beginning, so from Psalm 145, there's this intensification. There is an intensifying of praise and doxology. There's something that, that um, it's going to climax, and, let, and let's just read Psalm 150. We might as well read the climax. Let's see. Let's read Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbal. Praise him with loud clashing cymbal. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And let's say it all together. Get into the flow. In the, when you read that in the spirit, I'm talking about not just reading it, but you, when, you got, you, when you allow the spirit to, under, to capture the flow of Psalm 150, it's not just a, a poetic psalm. He's showing you something in, in, in the scriptures, something magnificent of the praise to God, where everything will be so unified. <laughs> Amen. So what is the meaning of this? This new state of affairs in these um, last six books of Psalms. What is going on? How do we account for the absence of suffering, lamentation, deliverance? How do you account for that? You see, I believe that God intends this new state, this, these last six Psalms to function as an eschatological preview of our life, of what's coming. What do I mean by eschatological preview? I mean, you know, these big words, right? There's two ways to understand it. People talk, what's your eschatology? You know, what's your eschatology? Well, there's two ways to, to, to understand that word. The most common way, the most common way that it is used is, um, is used to refer to the study of the last days, the last days. So people talk about the Antichrist, the, the Great Tribulation, the rapture of the church, right? So the, the people talk about the, la the last days. That's fair. That's, I don't have a problem with that. But there's another way that we could use the word, which I think I prefer, the last state. The last state. The study of the last God has a lot to say about the end, as, as you know in this church, one of our hermeneutical principles. God declares the end from the beginning. So in this case, it's a study of the last state. What state? When all things have been accomplished. Right? God is bringing history. God is bringing all of us to a state, a final state. 
Not the end in the sense that it's over. It's just the final statement. It doesn't mean that there is anything different, it, it just, but it's, it's the end. Where God's purposes are fulfilled, God has accomplished all things, right? The last state is this final state so that there are no more states to follow. Does that make sense? It's the final one. Look at Matthew 12, Matthew 12, 43. When the unclean spirit has gotten out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. But it finds none. Verse 44. Then it says, I, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Verse 45. Then it goes. And brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the what? The last state of hell. Ooh. In other words, if it's the last state, what does that imply? Finality. There's no other states. It's a warning, right? It's a warning, grave warning. He's not saying the, uh, the next, he didn't say, and the next state. No, no, it's the last one. The last state of that person is worse. In the first, and, 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 I, and you know, this is a preview of hell, right? A preview of souls who go die without Christ. The last state of that person will be a lot worse. I believe that when Isaiah prophesies, uh, Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end, the last state, not just the last days. I think that may be included. But I believe I'm declaring to you, God says, I'm going to declare to you the last state from the beginning. I'm going to tell you, and from ancient times, things not yet done, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. In other words, it's that state when God has accomplished his purpose. So don't be intimidated by that big word. You know, it just means last state. God is going somewhere with creation. The creation, your life and all the creation has an intended state. And Psalm 145 through 150 is going to give us a preview into that last state. So I, I, I commend to you to read it. Read it often, you know. Um, creation, God has something intended. He's going he's gonna to bring it. Jesus is the beginning, and he is what? The end. So he's going to bring it. He's going to bring it to pass. It's like, you know, think about when you're grilling a burger, right? Is there a last state of that bring? right? No? Right, William? You know, you, you, you're like, no, not, not ready yet. Not ready yet. No, you know, it's that last state. Now that state has arrived. Now it's done. Amen? It's been accomplished. The cook has accomplished his purpose. Same thing with, with creation. Same thing with redemption. God has an intended last state. He's going somewhere. And I believe that Psalm 46.10 shows that God does not want his people to be ignorant of this, of the end. So therefore, in plain language, Psalm 145 through 150 gives us an extraordinary portrait of what that last state will be like for all of creation. It's a mirror into the future when God has fully accomplished his redemptive purpose. Is that fair? You can read it for yourself. Go home tonight, read Psalm 145, 146, 147. Tell me if you find any suffering, any prayers. You won't find it. Nothing's, nothing exists no more. No more cries, no more tears, no more nothing. Right? And well, you don't have to be a theologian to know that the absence of suffering in Psalm 145 through 150, right, it anticipates something that's beautifully described in Revelation. Look at Revelation 21, Revelation 21, 3 and 4. We should not be surprised that there's coming this time, particular time. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear. That's the beginning of Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is the end of all tears. The end of all death, 
the end of uh, right mourning, no more crying, no pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen? So Psalm 145 through 150 is, is giving us in portrait mode, right, in poetic form, this, this, this end. So study it. I don't know about you, I'm, I'm, I want to know what that end is going to be like. Amen? I want to be reminded of where I'm going. I want to be reminded that there's a day coming when I'm going to transition into Psalm 45. Amen? And this, this, this thing intensifies. And we, we see in Psalm 150, verse 1, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. It seems like the whole cosmos, all the cosmos. See, right now, the sanctuaries are, are like little pockets. But in that new heavens, new earth, the entire creation will be a sanctuary. There will be no division. The entire universe is one big. Amen? So Psalm 145 is describing some final reality um, that God intends. Um, and, um, and so we're going to um, begin to take a look at this to look at, to give a little bit of foundation for the particular object of God's pleasure. <laughs> I felt that this was, you know, I felt, Lord, where do I start for this? But I want to give you, you know, something. How do I? Because I think that so many people can easily just hear something and just move on. But I, I want to lay the stage where now when we, when we go to 149, um, um, you know, that you can be rightly oriented at Psalm 149. When we come to Psalm 149, I want you to know that you are breathing what I call eschatological air. The fulfillment, the last states of things. And as the last states, in my mind, they have weight. They, they have, they're communicating things of e in eternal significance. And so we're, gonna, we're going to... Um, Look at, begin to look at Psalm 149 and consider this psalm to undergird the delights of God. But from an eschatological point of view, as a final source of delight. All right, so, so that, that's, that's where I want to go. So what is... Um, what is, what is this? Um, 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 I'll start and then we'll, we'll continue next week. So what is, you You know, you can take, um, we're not going to do this because it would take for us forever. You can take Psalm 145, Psalm 146, Psalm 147, Psalm 148, Psalm 149, and Psalm 150. You can take each Psalm. Here's a great, here's a great exercise if you want to do this, if you have time. Number one, right, you can say, um, what is the eschatological reality that God is emphasizing in each psalm? Each psalm is going to give you a different aspect of that final state. Does that make sense? Each psalm is going to be speaking just a unique, they don't repeat themselves. It, every, every, one of those every one of those psalms is unique. And the first thing that you, you could say, you know, what is it that God is communicating in Psalm 145 with respect to the last state? And then go to Psalm 146. And then go to Psalm 147. And then go to Psalm 148. And then go to Psalm 149. And then Psalm 148. You can, you, I, I, wanna, I want you to encourage uh, really encouraged to do that because it, it, it's just it's just a blessing to do that. But my question for today is, what is the unique reality being communicated in Psalm 149? All right, that's the question I want to ask. 
hopefully we can end. Well, first of all, um, I just re finished reading Psalm 150. Discerning the unique reality of Psalm 150 is not hard. You don't have to be a theologian, right? It's pretty straightforward. Um, what are some what, what are some features of Psalm 150? Um, it, 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 it functions as a final climax of praise of all creation, right? It, it just it just um, um, it, one of the things that you'll notice about these songs, particularly Psalm 146 through 150, is that they're called uh, halal, halal psalms. That's because they begin with praise the Lord and they end with praise the Lord, right? So that's a unique feature of Psalm 146, Psalm 147, Psalm 148, Psalm 149. Praise the Lord in the beginning, praise the Lord at the end. Psalm 150 breaks the model completely destroys it. In how does it destroy it? Does, does Psalm 150 have praise the Lord at the beginning and at the end? Where else does it have it? <laughs> Everywhere else. Everywhere else in Psalm 150 is a command to praise the Lord. So, the, so what was like, what, what you have as a, as a book end at the beginning of the psalm and at the end of the psalm, Psalm 150 now is collapsed into one big praise the Lord. Does that make sense? So, so, you, so you have to see Psalm 150 is just describing the finality of this glorious uh, symphony of praise in, throughout the entire universe of God. So God is the final He's, he's finally glorified in everything. Like I, I, love, I love what it says in Isaiah. On that day, the Lord alone will be glorified. This idea that when you come to Psalm 150, it's all about the Lord. Every single line. It's not just in the beginning, and it's not just in the end. Every single verse, there's an exhortation, an invitation, an imperative, a command to praise the Lord. Now consider the ramification, implications of all that. Right? There's a stream. You know how oftentimes our, our, our lives, let's be honest, sometimes our lives are more like a halal in the beginning and some a little bit at the end. Yeah? And in between, we got all kinds of things, right? But there's coming a day when God is going to unite all things in Christ and there's going to be this glorious praise to God. So it's not hard to figure it out. There are no restrictions, no hindrances to praising God in Psalm 150. No restrictions. But more interestingly about Psalm 150 is that there are no more explanations. There are no more exhortations. There's no more teaching, really. There's no more, there's no more um, uh, you know, just um, propositions to do things that are good. It's, that's over. <laughs> Right? There, there, there's no more, there are no more promises. It's over. All reality is bound up in praising God. That's it. That's all you can tell when people are ready for heaven. Right? When people are ready, how do you know people are ready for heaven? Don't tell me that God's going to take somebody that's like yawning on his way through worship. <laughs> and then, whoa, come to my like my praise on steroids. <laughs> no, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> you have to say, like, like if we're not delighting in God now, I don't know. We gotta delight in God now. We gotta say, Lord, in my heart, I love that about Jonathan Edwards, you know. I read a, I wrote a little book by Love called Love. And it was just like, yeah, you know, you know when you're ready to heaven when you see an old person and, and their lives are just get full of love. <laughs> and what's happening? Well, God is preparing them for this wonderful world. But then you see the other old people, and guess what? They get what? Bitter, miserable, cursing. Well, guess what? They're being fitted also. Right? They're being fitted. So, so the idea that, you know, don't, the people that say, oh, the service is too long. <laughs> well, get ready when you get to heaven. <laughs> there are no more barbecue grills. No more, no, that's it. You know, you're going to feel trapped. I mean, I like, I like what Jim Simmons once said. He said, I mean, people will go to heaven and they're going to be miserable. They will be miserable because it's too long. <laughs> Can you imagine that? 
too long. And that's true, right? If you delight in something, have you ever said something that you delight in? That's just too much. Never. <laughs> Never. You know, you eat that ice cream. Oh, I wish I could just stay in this moment forever. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm only going to get two more minutes. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? No, but, you know, so just, just we need to cultivate it. Now, we're in the flesh, and everyone, you know, we, you know, you and I, and the flesh says, I'm, I don't like this. I want to go home. I want to take a bath. That's okay, because we're in the flesh. But fight against it. Cultivate praise. Say, God, no, you are worthy of my praise. And just remind yourself, and just read Psalm 150 out loud. It, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? No, when you're, like, tired and the devil's lying to you, you say, okay, devil, I'll, I'll get you now. And you just start. Uh, just give me, give me one minute, devil. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise from, right? If you would just begin to declare and declare and declare, I think the atmosphere will change. Amen? If we don't give in to those thoughts and just say, God, I want to praise you. Teach me how to praise you. Teach me how to look for you. Lord, I, I, I'm not just content with just a couple of minutes here, 20 minutes there. Lord, ma, 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 let my heart long for you. Amen? So, the, so Psalm 150 is just a magnificent a magnificent reality. The final state of all creation is a symphony of obedience, joyous praise to the God, to the God who is so faithful. The praise Yahweh, the Lord. So there you have it. That's the final state. The interesting question is Psalm 149. <laughs> it's Psalm 149 that to me is like, because, right, I'm, I'm going to ask the question. I get Psalm 150. What's the dispute in that? What came immediately before Psalm 150? So I, have, I, I love Psalm 150, don't get me wrong, but I'm really interested in Psalm 149. Something happened there in 149 that gave way to Psalm 150. Does that make sense? Is that, is that making any sense? So, something in Psalm 149 is being, is being provided for us. Something happened in Psalm 49 that God, after whatever that is happened, God gave the green light. Let it rip. <laughs> Let everything that has breath praise God. Amen. Like something happened in Psalm 149 that opened the, the final floodgate. <laughs> this is going to be really good. <laughs> I might be the only one laughing, but, but, but praise God, I'm looking forward to like What happened in Psalm 149 that leads the way to Psalm 150? <laughs> Amen. Psalm 150 is all that is the end. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's just perfect. But there's a state of affairs. There are things that had to be done. Psalm 150 was not con unconditional. There are things progressing. And in the at the because God's a God of progression. God's a God of you know He keeps doing things. He does this first, and then He does this first, and then He does this first. So we love the end. I'm really interested to know. Oh. What was it just prior that gave way to that? You can read that, but so read, be reading Psalm 149. There's something in Psalm 149 that I think is going to blow us away. And, and, the, the, and I know that, you know, when you go, let's go to Psalm 149, verse 1, just to kind of give you, and then we'll, we'll end, and we'll pick it up next week, but, right? Uh, Psalm 141, um, it seems to introduce a new state of affairs. Something, even within the eschatological progression of Psalm 145 to 150, Psalm 149 says, Sing to the Lord what? A new song. <laughs> in other words, like, you know, uh, it, it, a new song. I think in Psalm 147, this is in, in a, a, a song of praise is fitting. But this time, it's like, okay, get a new song out. 
new song. New song, new state of affairs. And we're going to look at why sing a new song. What is it, what's going on in Psalm 149 that will eventually give way to all that God intended and purposed? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we are so grateful for your word. That you reveal them, O oh Lord. You reveal this David. You have hidden these things from the wise. And, and I just pray, Lord, that I, you would open our eyes in the next week or so that we can Lord, I can't I can't communicate the things that I see. But I pray that you would open the eyes. That you would truly open our eyes to see all the magnificence of what you're doing in life. And it's beautiful. <laughs> you make all things beautiful in your time. Oh God, help us not to be indifferent to that beautiful work. Help us to, Lord, rejoice. Help us to, Lord, open our eyes. So many blinded by the cares of life, blinded by all kinds of things that keeps them from treasuring those things that you have already revealed to them, to us by the Spirit. I love what Paul says, eyes have not seen, nor ears have heard, or entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them who love it, but they've been revealed to us by the Spirit. And so, Lord, we have access to these things by your Spirit. We don't have to live in darkness so that we could be a, a people full of joy, full of hope, full of, Lord, just, just treasuring Jesus Christ wherever we go. And so, Father, we pray for your, your hand to be upon us, to really open our hearts and to put to death, God, the, the lies of Satan that really, Lord, just um, handicap us from rejoicing in God. Oh, Jesus, even as I thought about that day when I, was, when I was just read that verse of praise him, let them praise him with dancing, my heart just wept to realize how few dance. Oh, God, do that in our hearts, Lord. And we don't want dancing that is just mechanical. Just We want dancing that comes forth from a joy of the Lord. And so, Father, do a great work through this word. Help us to understand the knowledge of his will, the knowledge of your pleasure. Help us go to the scriptures to, Lord, to really begin to have understanding, put these pieces together and to see the great thing that you're doing that will culminate in Psalm 150. Oh, how we long for that, Jesus. Psalm 150. No resistance, no opposition, no hindrance, just sheer praise to God. And so, Lord, we thank you. We bless your name. Can we worship the Lord with one song? Can we just, um, let's stand and let's just, um, Amen. Let's sing Agonist Day. Is, is he a God great to, greatly to be praised? Amen? He's a God greatly to be praised. Let's sing and let's just, and if you're a little physically tired, 